The following program is presented by the Far East Broadcasting Company because stories of people living out the gospel with their lives inspire all of us. FEBC, taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. Learn more at febc.org. When you read Borden's story, when you encounter how it was he settled on being a missionary and how he followed that call, people who take up the book, I think they're going to see something very compelling about how he followed the call of God in his life. Who was William Borden and what does his brief life have to teach us? We'll find out now as you join us for First Person. Welcome, I'm Wayne Shepherd, and our guest is biographer Kevin Belmonte. These interviews, whether we talk about the past or the present, are for the purpose of encouraging Christian believers to stay the course when it comes to their faith in Christ. We learn and are discipled by God's Word, of course, but also by the example of other godly people. If you'd like to listen to any previous interview in this long series of programs, you can visit firstpersoninterview.com or download interviews free of charge by using our smartphone app, First Person Interview. By the way, there's also a list of upcoming first-person interviews when you click on the schedule at firstpersoninterview.com. In a just-released book, author Kevin Belmonte tells the story of William Borden, who lived a short but important life. The book is titled Beacon Light, and there's a link at our website. I connected with Kevin at his home in Maine via Zoom, and we began by acknowledging that Borden's story began in Chicago. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, His family was a, a prominent family in Chicago. Uh, His father was a a brilliant mining engineer and convinced many of the early titans of industry there in Chicago to invest in a silver mine. And uh, lo and behold, they they hit the mother load, as they say. And uh, for his part, William Borden's dad walked away with a princely fortune. Mm. And so they built a a great chateau there. I believe it was on Lakeshore Drive, actually, Mm -hmm. in Chicago. Most likely. And... uh, Beautiful house, and so his family uh, was quite well-known in Chicago. That's absolutely true. Okay, set the time frame for us then. You said uh, made a killing in silver, so we kind of know it's, what, 18-something or other. Sure. Well, Borden's dates for he himself are 1887 to 1913. So for his father, this would have been just prior to or right around the time of the Chicago fire. And I believe that uh, after they made the strike there with the, the silver mine, in the aftermath of the Chicago fire, real estate that had been burned over was actually fairly cheap to acquire. So he did that and sort of diversified his holdings. So it was both real estate, but also, I think, the silver mine uh, proceeds as well. Okay. So Morden wasn't too concerned with money, was he? He had a family that uh, supported him and took care of him. Tell me about this young man, though, a remarkable young man who, when did he come to Christ? When, when did the, his spiritual conversion happen? Well, there's another great Chicago connection uh, through D.L. Moody and what was then called the Chicago Avenue Church that Moody founded. Uh, Borden came to faith as a youngster. Uh, The story is told by his mother that uh, one day they were hearing R.A. Torrey, who was then the pastor, speak, and uh, the communion elements were being distributed in the service. And his mother leaned over and said, William, isn't it time you were thinking about these things yourself? And he was all of maybe eight or nine years old, and he turned and looked at her and he says, Mother, I have been. Mm. And so he went ahead and took the bread and the wine as it was served out. And uh, his mother was a little concerned that this might have been somewhat uh, out of the common road. So she, she talked to 
Pastor Tori, and uh, he said, uh, big smile on his face, let, uh, let him come and see me and we'll talk about it tomorrow. And uh, the long and the short of it was he'd had a genuine uh, encounter of faith and both Pastor Tori and his mother were there to see it all unfold. And he was uh, still quite a young boy when it took place. Yeah. Okay. He was an unusual young man. And then I get the sense that everything he did, he did with a passion, a real sense of purpose in his life. Uh, yes. Now that is very true. When faith took root in his heart, it struck deep roots and that inspired a passion. I think it was something that he was imbued with as a, as a gift from God. It was something that he shared as a personality trait from his parents. They were both very gifted. They were people who tended to invest themselves uh, with everything they had and whatever it was they were doing. His mother was known for her gifts as a painter. Hmm. His father obviously uh, was brilliant uh, in terms of his scholarship, but also his attainments as a scientist and engineer. And uh, those two streams of natural gifts flowed into who he was personality-wise, but I think faith really helped deepen those streams of passionate commitment. He was an old soul, as the phrase has mm-hmm. it. Uh, you know, he only lived to be 25 years old, but people took note pretty early on that whatever it was he was involved with, he gave himself to at heart and soul. Yeah. People may not know William Borden's name, but maybe, just maybe, they've heard the phrase Borden of Yale. So obviously we know he went to Yale. Talk about those years. So those weren't just college years for him. He did some remarkable things. No, they weren't. And uh, we're indebted to uh, Hudson Taylor's daughter-in-law, Geraldine Guinness Taylor, for that phrase, Borden of Yale. Of course, it's the title of the now classic biography that was published in 1926, and I might say I'm deeply grateful to uh, to Mrs. Taylor's uh, nephew, my friend Oz Guinness, someone that we both know well. Oh. Uh, when I was approached by a member of the Borden family to undertake this biography, uh, I called uh, Oz. Actually, I think I emailed him and told him about it. And uh, he couldn't have been w- more warm and encouraging. And uh, he gave me both the gift of his prayers, but uh, then some some insights that helped me early on. Uh, so the whole Borden of Yale connection is one that has personal meaning for me. But yeah, when he got to Yale, uh, I wouldn't say his celebrity had preceded him, but I think it would be fair to say that uh, the sense of his missionary commitment, which was already present by the time he got there, that uh, helped stamp his entire set of experiences at Yale. And what unfolded there was a real spiritual awakening. Wayne, I, I don't think we think of ivy league schools is necessarily settings where revival renewal can take place but in that time it was very true yeah different era, uh, different era it was a different era and that was one of the things that really struck me um it wasn't just that the title borden of yale had a nice ring to it uh what he gave and what he and his classmates gave to yale in terms of setting the spiritual tone was really rather remarkable he was class of 1909 And he and a couple other friends got together and began to pray, began to read the Bible together and think, how can we reach our class for Christ? Uh, And they also had the guidance of Dr. Henry Wright, who ran Dwight Hall, the local YMCA group there at Yale. So between those two uh, catalysts, as it were, a real spiritual renewal movement began very humbly, uh, began with the freshman class, Borden's class. And instead of coming down, as you might think, from the seniors to the freshmen, 
it worked the other way. <laughs> it went upward from the freshman to the seniors. That doesn't happen often, does it? No. So it really um, kind of shattered a lot of people's expectations, the way that you would think something like that might unfold. But uh, when the dust settled, when things had really gotten underway, you had uh, probably about 600, maybe as many as 1,000 at the high point who were involved between the four different classes in some type of Christian endeavor, Bible study, prayer group. And so it was really a, a remarkable thing. Yeah, you're right. It's hard to envision that happening at an Ivy League school today, but it did happen, and and you've chronicled it. Um, this was not a one-dimensional man. Uh, he wasn't just all about his Christianity, although it influenced every part of his life. That's true. I mean, we hear the phrase now, well-rounded character, and he certainly was that. Uh, he was uh, had a gifted intellect. Uh, he was a, a brilliant student. But he was also an avid athlete. Mm-hmm. And here I think there are parallels between Borden's story and someone like Eric Little. Yes. We think of with Chariots of Fire. Yes. Uh, someone who was known for their exploits on the gridiron as a football player. He was also an accomplished rower, a member of uh, Yale's crew. And uh, I believe his class team won the interclass competition in 1907. So he was quite a, a gifted person on the rowing team. He was involved with wrestling, baseball. Uh, horseback riding, track and field, uh, that was the athletic side of things. He was also very musical. Uh, he could sing well. He played piano. Uh, his parents had seen to it that inasmuch as he had gifts that were scattered in many different areas of who he was, that they cultivated them. And uh, he actually played football on the freshman squad there at Yale. And this is at a time, we have to remember a couple things about that that are really interesting. Yale won a national championship in Borden's freshman year, 1905. So to get a spot on the freshman roster when the caliber of competition was that high says a lot for his ability. Uh, But the other thing was that football in his day uh, was not a a game for the faint of heart. No, no big Uh, shoulder pads and and fiberglass helmets. (laughs) Nothing like that. As a matter of fact, the game was much more like rugby than it was what we perceive as American football today, as you say, with all the pads and the equipment that we take for granted now. And there was actually quite a bit of concern. There were young people who were being killed. The game was so tough and being played so uh, so hard. And uh, there was some uncertainty at a time whether or not the, the, the football game and collegiate ranks would actually continue. And Theodore Roosevelt and others intervened to make sure that reforms took place. So the uh, game did continue, but when Borden uh, put on the uniform and took the field, uh, it was saying something. It was uh, quite a game to play. We'll continue learning about the life of William Borden from author Kevin Belmonte coming up in a moment on First Person. Hi, I'm Ed Cannon, the president of the Far East Broadcasting Company, and I'd like to invite you to join us on our podcast, Until All Have Heard, where Wayne Shepherd and I will take you on a virtual tour around Christian ministry in the most unreached places in the world to see what God is doing through the ministry of the Far East Broadcasting Company. So listen to the new weekly podcast until all have heard from FEBC. Listen at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcast platforms. Or go to febc.org. My guest is Kevin Belmonte, the author of the new book, Beacon Light, The Life of William Borton. 
And we'll talk more about Borden and his testimony in his life here in just a moment. But before we continue, Kevin, I also want to acknowledge some of the other things that you've written and been a part of, uh, biographies of William Wilberforce, uh, books about G.K. Chesterton. You've written a wonderful biography of D.L. Moody. We've talked about some of these on the program previously, and I'll try to put links to those previous interviews in the program notes so people can catch up with some of those other programs that we've done together. Uh, but before we talk more about Borden, the uh, book on uh, D.L. Moody is in production right now as an audiobook. that you're very excited about that. Yeah, and it's an interesting thing. Um, initially, uh, back in uh, 2010, uh, I was approached by Thomas Nelson, who's now a part of HarperCollins, uh, the umbrella of Christian publishing, uh, to do a book for a series they called Christian Encounters. And it was meant to be an introductory biography. So fully four years before I did my long and definit- more definitive book on D.L. Moody for Moody Press, uh, I had this little 30,000-word uh, book and uh, was delighted to do it. Um, I thought, you know, that's really meeting a need. Most people hear the name D.L. Moody. They, they might have some name recognition, but it'd be really nice to have sort of a literary handshake and get to know the man. So a little bit of time's gone by. It's been, what, 11 years? And I got a wonderful email from the new senior VP there at uh, HarperCollins Christian Publishing telling me that they were going to bring it out on audio. And it took me completely by surprise. <laughs> um, just to give you some of the late breaking news, um, it'll be out sometime in the near future, and we haven't settled on a narrator just yet. Okay. Um, but that's in the works. But absolutely, um, I'm just so pleased that a book that uh, has a special place for me, I'd written it after my first visit to Northfield, where I'd seen so many of the Moody sites. Uh, the book has uh, got another chapter in its own story, so to speak. So, yeah, yeah. yeah that's a nice thing. Thank you yeah. for Well, I feel the best audiobooks are narrated by the author, so I think you ought to narrate it. (laughs) Well, um, you know, that may end up being the case. Uh, I have yet to hear back from the good folks there in production. They may suggest it, so if they do, I'll tell them you said (laughs) as much. And we'll pass the word along here on First Person. Well, we're talking about William Borden here today, and that book is out in print right now, as of today, actually, Beacon Light, The Life of William Borden. We were talking about uh, Borden being at Yale He wasn't uh, just concerned with his studies at Yale. He was concerned about ministry while he was there. Talk about that part of his life. Well, the story of what Borden undertook, apart from his studies and his athletic endeavors, really centers on Yale Hope Mission. Uh, It's an organization that uh, someone came to him. They knew Borden was a person of, of deep financial means, and he did have the command of some of his inheritance at that time. His father passed away when he was 18 which uh, affected him deeply. Uh, But the upshot of that in terms of his uh, financial wherewithal was that he was able, if he chose to do so, to invest in things that could help those who were less fortunate. So John McGee, an older peer there at Yale, who himself was a committed Christian, said, look, we've got this uh, large population of destitute, homeless, unemployed people who are on the streets in the city of New Haven which is where Yale is located in Connecticut, uh, why don't we do something to help them? And so they talked about it. It was actually on Borden's birthday, if memory serves. And uh, Borden warmed the idea straight away. Uh, After there'd been a little more consultation and discussion, they found uh, out about a four-story building there, about a mile from the center of the Yale campus, maybe not even that much. 
Borden wrote a check for $20,000 on the spot and purchased the entire building. I wonder what that would amount to in today's dollars. Easily half a million dollars. Uh, just a huge sum to buy a building and have it refurbished. And so Yale hosted it. This is while he's a student at Yale. That, absolutely. This is while he's a student. He was all of 19 when he undertook this. Hmm. Uh, so he had guidance from some older peers, but he shouldered a lot of the financial responsibility and the administrative work himself while he was a student. The estimates are that during that four-year period while he was there, probably about 20, 25,000 people came through that facility, received help, heard the hope of the gospel, and they were so innovative. They would have job training for people who were without skills. They would uh, provide meals with the use of tokens rather than just give money, which could be used for things that had been a source of trouble to them, like alcohol and that sort of thing, mm -hmm. to try and really wean them from, uh, from a life of, of alcohol abuse or whatever it was they were struggling with. They even had a steam machine installed so they could mm -hmm. keep their clothes but they would be thoroughly cleaned and steamed so they could keep their dignity. It, it's a remarkable thing. And uh, Borden was there probably two or three nights a week. And, and he looked at it two ways, Wayne. He thought it would be an opportunity to help the less fortunate, to be sure. But what a way to help those privileged young people at Yale learn how the other half lives or struggles mm -hmm. and to get them plugged into ministry and perhaps some of them who may not have been Christians at the outset would be themselves transformed by the gospel that Borden hoped to command to people who were out there on the streets. Yeah, it speaks loudly to us today. It really does. Uh, I know we're going to have to skip over a lot, but the good news is is in the book. <laughs> yes. And I want, our, I want our listeners to read the book. But um, just a couple of things briefly. First of all, he developed a calling to go to China. W where did that come from in his life? Well, his parents, like, I think, were a big part of the reason why. Of course, he was a committed Christian by his teens, to be sure, but he graduated from prep school in Pennsylvania, and he'd done so well academically, and because he was so young, he was only 16 at the time. Rather than go straight up to Yale at that age, they really wanted him to be a little bit older, so they gave him the present of a gap year. And they were very wise. This was to be a trip around the world. They wanted him to experience different cultures, different countries, um, to have that part of his education be something he experienced firsthand. And that's often the case now. We have exchange students often in undergrad years. But this was before he went to Yale. But they appointed a wonderful young man who had graduated from Princeton Seminary, or Walter Collins Erdman, whose uh, family had connections actually to the Moody Church. There was a, a Dr. Erdman who was one of the early pastors in D.L. Moody's time. Is that where we got Erdman's publishing? Um, different spelling. Oh, uh, I okay. believe. Yeah, I believe the publisher, Erdman's, has two E's, and uh, this particular surname has just the one. I see. Um, okay. But it sounds just the same. Yeah, it does. Um, this young man was a little bit older than, uh, than Borden. He was a young man of culture, but deep faith. So they set out from San Francisco, having traveled cross-country by train from the Borden family home in Maine, and they set out going across the Pacific, and were going to experience Asia first rather than at the close of the trip coming from the east. And uh, as you might expect, uh, Walter Erdman had many young friends who were going to be missionaries. They had just graduated from Princeton. And so Borden and Erdman called on them during their travels in Asia. He actually got to China and got to see some of the sites there as a 16-year-old. 
and spending time with the missionaries, seeing the needs that were present there in China. There was a day when he wrote a letter home, I think it was around the time of his birthday, when he turned 17, and he told his parents, I've been watching these people, I'm seeing their commitment, I want to be one of them. Hmm. And that was the turning point for him. It's had a profound impact on him. Well, I wish we had more time, but um, he did die at age 25 on his way to serve as a missionary in China. Just briefly tell that account, and listeners can read more about it. Yes, very briefly. uh, To minister among the Muslim peoples of China, he wanted to learn Arabic as well as eventually Chinese. So he traveled to Egypt to begin learning Arabic, both the written language and the spoken language. He had been there a matter of some weeks and sad to say, he contracted cerebral spinal meningitis, and three mm. weeks later, he had passed away. Mm. Wow. So is his uh, resting place there in Egypt? Yes, his final resting place is there in Cairo. It's just had a wonderful new headstone uh, placed there uh, with the same inscription that was on the original one. Uh, it's been all restored, and uh, people tend to take care of it. So his memory is cherished there. Uh, but that is, yes, his final resting yeah. place. It's It was a remarkable life, one that we need to learn from today, and that's why I'm so glad that you've written this book, Kevin. One last question. What is the value of being acquainted with someone like William Borton, who comes from a an era different from ours and yet has so much to teach us? What's the value? Well, I think those of us who have uh, become Christians and want to uh, to serve the Lord wonder, what is my purpose, my calling in life? And I think that's something that's evergreen. And when you read Borden's story, when you encounter how it was he settled on being a missionary and how he followed that call, the word consecration comes into play. It's an older word, but the idea of dedicating oneself wholeheartedly to serve the Lord, whether you're a missionary uh, here at home or abroad, those questions are with us. And so I think the idea of preparing well to serve is a very resonant theme for me in Borden's life. And and people who take up the book, I think they're going to see something very compelling about how he followed the call of God in his life. Our thanks to Kevin Belmonte. I love to read biographies of men and women who have gone before us and can still challenge us today to live for Christ. I want to mention that Kevin's book also contains photos you'll enjoy as you learn about William Borden. For a link to Beacon Light, The Life of William Borden, please visit firstpersoninterview.com. Our friend Nancy demoss Walkamuth says of the book, This biography will inspire a new generation to follow in the steps of Borden's wholehearted, single-focused devotion to Christ, to choose Him above all this world has to offer, and to live their lives with eternity always in view. Again, follow the book's link at firstpersoninterview.com. By the way, previous interviews with today's guests can be found when you scroll through our audio archive at the website. Our program each week is made possible by the Far East Broadcasting Company, who has many inspiring stories to tell of devotion to Christ from around the world. Those stories are often heard on the radio program FEBC Today and the podcast Until All Have Heard. Both programs can be listened to at febc.org. And I urge you to spend some time listening to hear about the faith of people from many nations and cultures who are taught the Word of God through FEBC's programs. Listen, watch, and pray at febc.org until all have heard. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard, inviting you to listen next time to First Person.